0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to
2: do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. Andrew Cohen and Light Coma is a rock and roll band from Chicago led by Andrew Cohen, who is best known for his past work as a guitarist in bands like Silkworm and Bottomless Pit. In recent years, he has become socially and professionally involved with the band Light Coma, and together they've recently released Unreality, one of the finest albums I've encountered in the year 2017. Unreality is out now via Comedy Minus One Records, and a few weeks ago, Andrew and I had an in depth discussion about the album which led to conversations about late friends like Jason Molina and Michael Dahlquist, as well as the musical aesthetic of Neil Young and Crazy Horse and Bob Dylan and Keith Richards and Stephen Malcolmus, among other people. Now part of the Entertainment One podcast network and sponsored by Fresh Books, Hello Fresh Canada, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, Planet Bean Coffee, and Granddad's Donuts, this is Andrew Cohen on the 369th episode of Creative Control with your host, me, Vishkana.
3: It's not the usual thing. You're the sick one today. I've been living on sugar pumps.
2: I've been living on sugar. Hi, Andy. How's it going?
1: Good. Hi, Vish. How are you? I'm good. A little steamy here in, in our unseasonable early fall weather, but I know you know how that is. Yeah, we're not too far from each other. That's
2: right. Uh, I'm feeling the same. I'm sweating and talking to you. <laughs> and I wish I wasn't wearing these big earmuff headphones to monitor the sound, but this is what I have to work with. Anyway, yeah, it's a very hot. It's hot as we're speaking here. Uh, where Where are you exactly?
1: I am in Highland Park, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago.
2: I feel like I just spoke to someone from Highland Park, Illinois. It's Robbie Folks. Do you know Robbie Folks? Yeah,
1: Does I don't he... know if he lives here. He lives. He used to live in Wilmette, which is about two suburbs down from me. So like five, six, seven miles. Okay. Yeah, but uh, maybe he moved. I don't know. Maybe he's even closer now.
2: Jay Ryan? Does Jay Ryan live in Highland Park? i got to go through my old Jay episodes. Ryan.
1: Jay Ryan lives in Evanston, which okay. is one <laughs> suburb south of Robbie Fultz's old old suburb there in Wilmette.
2: <laughs> Steve Albini? Steve Albini, does he live near you?
1: Steve still lives in Chicago, okay. so that's one city south of the suburb of Evanston.
2: <laughs> I'm trying to go through all my recent... Soley? Do you know Steve and Soley?
1: Yeah, he, I think he's a Chicago guy, too.
2: Yeah, okay, yeah. So you don't know. Yeah, I'm just going through my uh, mental Rolodex of recent Chicago guests and uh, <laughs> trying to figure out. I probably forgot someone. But anyway, yeah. it's a nice area, Highland Park?
1: Yeah, I like it. It's green Yeah. by our standards. It's got some ravines. So despite Chicago being extraordinarily flat, it's uh, got a little bit of topography.
2: Is there a dangerous wildlife where you live?
1: Well, no. I mean, there's coyotes yeah, but that I don't sounds dangerous. Them, no, I don't consider them. I don't really consider them dangerous. I guess maybe if they were rabid, but anything rabid's dangerous. Sure. You know what I think is dangerous is the profusion of deer that are everywhere, like on the bike paths, and they just swarm, and I feel like they're going to jump on me when I'm riding my
2: bike. Oh, you see them as you're riding?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's. I feel like they're like an overpopulation because they're just everywhere.
2: Oh, oh, oh. That's see, that's that's just that is actually a legitimate answer to my original question. That is not good because <laughs> you hit a deer. You're you could be done, I yeah. Use... And
1: they're twitch and they're twitchy and they jump in front of you and stuff.
2: Yeah, I I bumped into a deer in the old minivan I used to have. I saw it and I braked, but just as I came to a stop, I just nudged it and then it ran away. And I worried that I hurt it, but I don't think I. Yeah, that's frightening. They just show up. Yeah, it's well. Bad. I know a guy
1: who who died when he. A deer jumped on him when he was riding his motorcycle. Oh. I don't mean they jump on you like a wildcat. What I mean is they jump across the road and you smash into them while they're jumping. Yes. Yeah.
2: Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, (laughs) that's not good. Okay. Well, uh, other than that, everything's good in Highland Park?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Especially wildlife.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't normally ask wildlife questions, but there's something, you mentioned a ravine, and I just, I was trying to picture where you were, and and all that. Anyway. Yeah,
1: well there's the trout and the deer and coyotes and stuff.
2: Right. Okay. So it's <laughs> nice. That sounds nice. All right. Well, I'm excited to talk to you about this record uh, Unreality and uh and also to uh, get some background on on you and this this is a relatively newer band configuration for you. Uh, it's uh, Andrew Cohen and Light Coma, is that right?
1: That's right. Yeah.
2: Where did So this... Light Coma Yeah, go Light ahead. Light Coma was
1: an established band of Chicago guys. Um It's Brian Orchard, uh, who also played in the Bottomless Pit, my previous band, Mm -hmm. Uh, Jim McGregor on drums, who's uh, been a Chicago man about town and played in many bands around here, as well as Ryan Resvani on bass, Um, and they played around for quite a while. And so, do you want me to tell you the sort of genesis of
2: this thing? Well, that's the point. Yes, of course. Right. I, I, so particularly I if it involves Genesis. Were you listening to so, Genesis at the time that you came together? That's what I no, Is there any relation? No, never. Okay. <laughs>
1: so I've been a fan of Light Coma for a long time, and then uh, previously I was in this band Silkworm for a long time from the 80s until 2005.
2: I saw Silkworm. Um, I saw Silkworm in Vancouver and Victoria, British Columbia nice opening for Uh, shellac
1: oh great yeah the great western canada tour of 1998
2: that's right was it 98 or 99 (laughs) i just told someone it was 99 was it 98 oh you're probably right no i might might be wrong i might be be wrong but i thought it was 99 and i was just telling the story that i shellac had the uh the maple leaf lomo shirts for that tour like they had yeah yeah i have one of those yeah
1: they made a big deal out of the canada angle which i guess was justified we played. We played great places like uh, Victoria, Vancouver, yes. Kelowna, BC.
2: Do you remember? Virgi- Vic- Did you remember Regina? Yes, that's right. And Winnipeg, I uh, believe.
1: Winnipeg, of yeah. course. Yeah. Couple others that are escaping me at the moment.
2: Did you remember that Victoria had a curfew? It was like a weird bar. Uh,
1: I the bar was. It was called the. Duke of Perth or something, Duchess of York, something like that. Yeah, I, it was a very down and dirty, skeezy rock and roll rocker. Everyone gets super <laughs> drunk, kind of place, <laughs> which is cool. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, you know, in its way, it's cool. So I'm... the show went well. Yeah. um yeah, and then we stayed in this absolutely heinous flophouse hotel. Where it was the kind of place where you don't want to turn the lights off because then the bugs will swarm all over you. Right. And it's got the hang yourself lighting, you know, like the exposed bulb on the <laughs> on the cloth covered cord <laughs> hanging from the ceiling. Yes. And then someone someone set fire to a dumpster underneath Todd Trainer's room during the middle of the night. So it was it was a real rocker kind of night.
2: Oh wow! Yeah, I remember the the bar. That
1: was, this is Winnipeg. That's the capital of. No, no. Paris, this was
2: Victoria. Canada. Victoria.
1: Oh no! 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 The stuff I'm talking about all happened in. Winnipeg. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, Victoria. no, I, <laughs> no sorry. I didn't go
2: to the Winnipeg show. I have no no knowledge yeah. of the Winnipeg show, but yeah, the Vic- uh,
1: Victoria was no. That place was pretty pre- was pretty nice. It was like clean and it was pretty sedate.
2: Yeah, you guys were kind of in a. Uh, were you in a cage? No, I, there was some kind of fencing or something <laughs> around the around the stage, and then there were uh, TVs like closed-circuit TV showing everyone around the bar what was happening on stage. <laughs> but the bar wasn't that big, so I was confused as to why you would need to watch the same show yeah. on TV. And then and in Vancouver, the night before, I think it was, I feel like, was it possible that Joel R.L. Phelps showed up at that yes, show? Yes, yeah,
1: it's, it's likely.
2: And surprised Steve? Because Steve seemed very excited to see him. I remember that.
1: Yeah, Joel sighting, especially in that era, was not common in was always to be looked forward to
2: yeah yeah i i i feel like i've talked about this with tim when he was on the show and and with joel i think when he was on the show um and uh yeah i just remember anyway that's the the first two times i saw silkworm and uh it meant a lot to me so you mentioned silkworm and i interrupted you and i'm sorry oh yeah yeah please continue So
1: that band ran for a long time you know that was in 1987 to 2005 um And then Tim and I, our drummer was murdered in Chicago in 2005. And that was the end of that band. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then Tim and I formed a band pretty quickly afterward called Bottomless Pit. So I'm getting to the Light Coma story, by the way. So the Bottomless Pit was me and Tim. And Brian Orchard of Light Coma was playing bass because he was a a bud of ours and, you know, a a good musician. We knew we could do it. And Chris Manfred from, from Seam on drums. Okay. And so we had a good run with that band, too. I don't. I don't have the dates as firmly as my in my mind. So we started that around, you know, late 2005, early 2006. That ended uh, oh, I don't know, 3 4 years ago. It's now 2017, so let's call it 2014. I don't exactly know the dates.
2: Yeah. Uh, and, and Bottomless Pit was um uh was that a difficult band to to uh to get up and running obviously you went through this horrible tragedy and uh yeah and it felt well, that like was kind
1: of the beginning of the pit was yeah you know tim and i obviously had this i don't know how obvious it is but we had sort of a little bit of a need for a creative outpouring after michael our drummer uh was killed yeah and so you know we had some songs and we were playing with a few different people um but when we started with uh with chris and and brian it gelled pretty quickly mm-hmm. we're all in the same wavelength and and it worked so yeah and so uh uh it was it, it was well It was hard to get up and running in a certain way in that i sort of think of bottomless pit the way i think of like the early silkworm stuff when joel was still in the band so for those who don't know silkworm started out as a four-piece two guitars me and joel tim on bass um and then we had drummers in Montana, but then eventually Michael in Seattle, who we met in 1990, was sort of the main guy on drums, obviously, right. for a long time. Right. So, so the early Worm was, was a funny beast because we rehearsed a lot and we had to because there was just a lot going on all the time. And so most of that music is very heavily arranged through hours of rehearsal. Because Joel and I, I think, were very sensitive to not stepping on each other's toes, especially since, you know, a lot of stuff was at top volume and there was just a lot of expression happening everywhere. Yeah. But we, we, I think, got our arm, arms around it again by playing together a lot and being young and interested and able to get that stuff arranged. Um, later, uh, Joel Phelps quit the band in 1994, I think. Uh, we were a three-piece, and by that time, we were A, more experienced, B, older, and C, now we're a three-piece, and so there's less <laughs> stuff to arrange. Right. So the stuff, you know, it was just easier to, to do stuff. Um, easier doesn't mean better. It just means it took less rehearsal, and, you know, we were, again, more experienced. So, so the band, I think the sound changed pretty significantly after that.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Then when we got back in the pit, we kind of had the same situation we had with, with the early worm, which was... Two really loud and uh, prominent and lots of ideas guys, me and Tim, playing guitars. So Tim was playing a baritone guitar most, of, I guess, all the time in the pit. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it's still a guitar. So that that band, again, took a lot more arranging and time and tweaking to get, get things right. Um, so that's the way that it was sort of hard. Um, it wasn't hard from like a personal. Those guys are great and we had a great time. And yeah. considering the complexity of the, of the arrangements that came together Very quickly and easily.
2: I would have seen you and Tim perform in some capacity at the uh, touch and go anniversary uh, party at the in the hideout parking lot I guess it was really uh was that early pit or no?
1: That was uh oh geez what year was it?
2: 2006 Uh, or or just 2006? Oh yeah yeah yeah
1: that would have been that would have been either before the pit or early pit. Yeah. Okay. So, also, uh, Matt Cadane was with us at that time too. By the end of the Silkworm run, we'd been playing with Matt and uh, other keyboard players to fill in some of the gaps here and there mm-hmm. and just be fun. So, Matt, Matt joined us for that show too.
2: Okay. So, uh, out of all of that, you did you? So, the Bottomless Pit ended. Did you? Is this your first sort of release since Bottomless Pit? yeah yeah yeah, okay okay yeah so you teamed up with lycoma and it sounded like that just happened organically you were a fan
1: yeah so you know it's funny because after the pit stopped um so i've been doing this a long time obviously i'm 47 now i started when i was about 14 yeah doing it a lot and (laughs) after every record basically since the mid 90s i've sort of been like oh i don't know if i do we have anything else to say and we always have Mm -hmm. um but it's it's very process oriented. I you know what I mean? It's not like I think I'm going to have this 40-year career and execute it. It's sort of like every record it's the same questions and and so far so good. Right. So after the pit stopped, um I was like, you know, I'm busy, I got a corporate job, I got a bunch of kids. Uh, you know, is this worth worth the time to do? Do I really maybe I'll retire, you know? Yeah. And so I don't know. I just kind of kept playing acoustic by myself, essentially. And then I'm like, oh, it might be fun to go out and do an acoustic show here and there. And and I did um, do a, a few of those in Chicago. And they are fun. And it was nice because unlike an unwieldy monster of a four-piece band of adult male humans, it's just me. It's easy. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, it's funny, and it's it sounds lame to talk about stuff in terms of how expedient it is, but that's kind of where my head was at. Was like, if it's easy and fun, I am going to do it, and if it's a struggle, I am not going to bother because I've I've done enough. Um,
2: well, as a and you were you said you were working and you were uh, you are a dad. Yeah,
1: yeah, but that's been true for a long time. So those are those excuses aren't really new.
2: Oh no, um, I, I know that, but I do think that there is a relationship with time that changes. Time, your time is more precious, so you want to make sure you are maximizing all of your time
1: exactly yeah. yeah and we can talk about what the point you know the use of time a little a little bit too like specifically about projects but anyway yeah so I was at one of these shows and Jim McGregor from Light coma who obviously I've known for years was there and it's kind of one of those things I think where someone you someone says the right thing at the right time in the right context and just kind of sticks with you and I'll tell you a quick story about another time that happened sure so right after the show I'm like yeah hey, you know we'll played and Jim's like oh you know I enjoyed it yada yada and he's like hey you know, uh, I was talking to the other guys in like coma and we were thinking we could be your crazy horse. And I was <laughs> like, Oh, hmm, maybe it would be fun to play with a band. That sounds kind of cool. And so then, you know, we went and rehearsed and it was easy and I think sounded good right away. And when I say easy, I mean, it came together without struggle. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so then I was like, okay, this is plausible. And, and, but, you know, we just played some more and, then it was, then it resulted in the electric stuff okay i mean at the time i was kind of conceiving of doing a record of just acoustic just me um but then you know jim kind of inserted himself there and it worked out well, I it, just... it's funny because another time when there was a pivotal <laughs> a pivotal little comment like that was funny it was i was in college at columbia university in 1988 89 maybe uh-huh and so silkworm had started in montana and tim and joel Uh, had moved to Seattle to sort of continue the band. And I had graduated from high school and I had gone to New York to go to college. So it was kind of, well, you know, we'll see what happens, but it seems unlikely that this band is going to continue, at least with my participation. Yeah, Um, I think I made some feeble attempt to get them to move to New York, but that wasn't going to happen at the time. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so I went through my first year of college. It was great. Uh, Went back to Montana, summer of eighty. I guess, 89, you know, we played some shows and stuff and it was great as always went back to college. And then not too long before my first semester was over, I got this little postcard from Tim that said, Hey, me and Joel are moving to, to Seattle. You should drop out of college and move to Seattle and and rock with us. And I was like, okay, that was it. (laughs) And then I, like a week later, I went to see the Dean, like, Hey, you know, I kind of, thinking about going to seattle like if i like leave can i come back if it doesn't work out or whatever he's like yeah anytime and so i'm like okay you know i'll go out there yeah and if yeah. it's terrible i'll just come back here and so it was pretty it was nice and it was an easy transition
2: i see so you, you you're saying that when someone says something to you and sparks something it's a good idea to follow through and see where it goes
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, these are the like two examples when that's happened. I'm sure there's been plenty of times and I've gotten requests and not followed through and I don't remember those.
2: No, but I I think the moral (laughs) of your story is always listen to a musician. Just always. (laughs) If they suggest something, just do what they say. They have the best ideas. They do have the best ideas. Yeah. (laughs) Well, this seems like a, a good enough time as any to get into Uh, This wonderful record of yours, Unreality, which uh, does uh, feature at least uh, six, I believe, six sort of full band songs with Lycoma and then three uh, uh, solo songs, I suppose. Are they primarily solo, just you and a guitar?
1: Yeah. Well, one of them features Slow Mo Mike Brenner on Dobro and Slide. He has this thing he made, like a Slide bass guitar.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. And he was in uh, Magnolia Electric Company?
1: He was. Well, he's done a, He's like a gun for hire, I think. But he, I met him when he was playing with Magnolia and he played on a few of their records and I think is well known
2: for that stuff. OK, OK. So, yeah, let's begin. Uh, and so we're going to go song by song. Andy, have you done this with anyone else? Have you talked? About never. It? No, never. 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 This will be interesting, won't it?
1: I've talked about p- specific songs here and there, but not not in any detail
2: like this. OK, we're going to talk about the uh, origin intent, and. <laughs> and whatever else we, we can think of about uh, these songs and we begin with the very first song on the record which is called Repack
3: Daddy I'm dying out here It's just a little pollen in your hair For some happiness you might sneeze You're always saying things you don't mean I'm allowed to hold the flag It belonged to everyone until today, I'm gonna poke you with a plastic fork. The tines will bend at least, that's what we...
2: See a lot of fatherhood imagery in here, and yeah,
1: yeah. Well, this song is an easy one because uh, it has an origin story. Although the origin story doesn't necessarily relate to all of the lyrical content, uh, this one is partially written by my kids. Uh, a lot of these lines in here are actually lines I eavesdropped on them saying to each other um, on a particular afternoon in August. Oh, I see. Uh, Yes. So that's. <laughs> so, so you, you've obvious. kind of
2: stitched them together.
1: Yes. Right. So I stitched them together. I added some narrative of my own, and that's how we ended up with this. Oh,
2: well, that's very fascinating because it, uh, I mean, I'm, it, it does seem pretty uh, stream of consciousness. It does have yeah. that disconnected quality. And then, sort of midway through, uh, or maybe even close, yeah, yeah, around midway through, we run into like a character. Who goes by Crossover Jimmy? <laughs> yeah. So is that who is Crossover Jimmy?
1: Yeah, I see that. Here's the problem with kind of getting into songs in too much detail is it's they're not really defensible or explainable very easily.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, I don't know. Did you just <laughs> so... did
2: you just conjure Crossover <laughs> Jimmy? The, the the lyric is Crossover Jimmy was a normal guy. I never suspected he was always high. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this it,
1: one didn't come from them. I think.
2: I hope not. No,
1: this was probably sort of if this is if there's like a song of experience and a song of innocence in the same song, this is probably getting into the song of experience part.
2: Well, there are some very uh, amusing uh, lines for sure. Uh, (laughs) Let me see here. There's. uh, Oh, yeah, I'm just. uh, Well, it starts very vividly. (laughs) Daddy, I'm dying out here. It's just a little pollen in your hair. Worst that will happen is you might sneeze. You're always saying things you don't mean. I mean, that's there's real poetry to that.
1: Yeah. Well, the daddy I'm dying out here is a direct quote from one of them.
2: Uh, this were they is on stage my... performing comedy? Why were they? No,
1: they're just running around in the yard, jerking around like kids oh, do. You okay. Know? Like... <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: oh, so, but you're always saying things you don't mean. I mean, that's that's the essence of what they do. Right. They don't, know, they don't know what they mean. Right. They just, say, they just say
2: things. What is the age range, roughly, of when your kids might have said some of these things? Or do you know?
1: The age would be five to 10, five, eight, and 10. I will or four, dist- eight, four, I- eight and ten.
2: I will distract her with my pain. <laughs> yeah. Is that a thing? Is that a thing? One of your kids said.
1: Uh, no, that's more an observation of 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 uh, one of their techniques. Is oh, like, okay. like it's- they're hurt, right? <laughs> okay, okay. So, so, so if one of them's getting making a fuss, the other one will act more hurt. And then it'll be a distraction.
2: Well, it's so there's observational stuff going on, but it's also, I mean, you're, you're hearing things they're saying, but you're also commenting on things they're saying and doing as well yes. as, as the narrator, as the writer of this piece. Clearly. Okay. All right. And musically, is there anything you want to say about it? I don't want to delve too much into it knowing what I know now. I, I think it's, it's good. To, it's a nice melody to this. Nice phrasing. I think uh, as a song, it really works. Uh, Thanks. I sound yeah. like a, a judge on one of those TV shows right now <laughs> I don't mean to i've never said that's that
1: okay that's what you are yeah. you' <laughs> i've never <laughs> um, never said
2: that to anyone before, but yeah
1: the, the only thing I'll say about this song musically that I really like is it's one of my favorite forms, which is the one parter yeah so it's really it's one part and it's all about texture and dynamics.
2: yeah, there are no choruses. it is a ramble it's a bit of a yeah. rambling thing yeah. and, and and is there any, uh, is there any significance to the title repack?
1: No, it, I I repack was this word that it had sort of just echoed in my mind and I forgot what it meant. And uh, I think later I figured out that it was like a historic mountain bike race in California.
2: Oh, oh, <laughs> um, it's so it called, it, it, it's called the repack,
1: I think so. Oh, interesting. Um, okay, so it doesn't, the title honestly doesn't really mean anything in connection with the song,
2: but the song itself almost doesn't mean anything either
1: yeah i mean it's like uh it's vignettes
2: yes 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 and
1: it's songs it's a song of innocence and experience in one song
2: yeah okay all right no that's that's fair all right we let's move on i think we're gonna move on already that was that was a quick one (laughs) we're gonna move on to a song that made me a little hungry uh it's called sugar puffs yeah
3: I've been living on sugar pop I've been living on sugar pop 43 years have been enough They melted Have been they into some stuff.
2: This is a song that uh, has a sadness to it, I think, but at the same time, it I don't think this cereal is even called Sugar Puffs anymore, but it's made me think of cereal. Is it—is it related to the cereal, the old cereal Sugar Puffs?
1: <laughs> well, that's where I got the name. And it's funny because I, I, I don't eat this stuff, and I... Thought, is this, is this another one of those sort of words that I just sort of remembered, like sugar puffs? Yeah. And I think part of this image is stolen, right? So there's a Drama Rama record from the 80s, I believe. I don't remember the name of the record, but it has a song on it uh, that Joel covered, whose name escapes me. It's the acoustic one on that record, and Joel has covered it. And okay. one of the lines is something like, I'm living on chocolate ice cream. Oh. And so I'm like, oh, that's kind of funny and uh i'm I'm one of these guys who thinks sugar sugar is like a terrible thing to eat, and it's like causes lots of problems.
2: yes, it does
1: and so I just thought it was funny to think about living on something like chocolate ice cream, and I'm like, well, think about these sugar puffs things that everyone eats for breakfast right and and then and at that point, I thought, I don't think sugar puffs is a real cereal, but it sounds like a funny thing to eat a sugar puff it sounds terrible
2: well when, when, um, I, when I go back to the, the, the notion I had that there was sadness on this uh, within the song I, I there's certain lines that stick out uh, I've been living on sugar puffs 43 years have been enough <laughs> out on the ice floe, no one will ever know what you have been through there's just sort of this sense of someone casting off you know
1: yeah well it's funny because these ideas all come from somewhere right because so living on sugar puffs I think is a depressing thought although if you're a different kind of person, maybe it sounds like you think it's like Charlie and the chocolate factory and it's great. But yeah. for me, it's, it's pretty depressing. I see. Um, yeah. And this ice flow thing is funny because when I was in law school, we read this case whose name I don't remember. And it was all about these guys who lived on a, on an ice flow in the Canadian Arctic. And I think it was a murder case because they, <laughs> they made this stuff called raisin wine and oh. that was their only access to alcohol. on this ice flow it was like being in prison. And, you know, they, and so the case had this, has this narrative in it about how they would, they would get drunk on raisin wine hmm. and whatever happened between the parties, you know, I, one of the questions was, well, was it an excuse that they were drunk on this raisin wine that they ginned up in their own, in their bathtub or whatever? Oh. So then I was like, Oh, the ice flow and they're out there floating around and, and you know, they're totally alone. And again, it's like being in prison, but you're not in prison. Hmm. Um, but no one will ever know because it's an ice flow in the middle of nowhere. You're isolated. So, yeah. It, right. It's a thousand percent isolation.
2: Right. Well, this song has that uh, alienation running through it as well. It's it's quite vivid and striking. And the arrangement is there anything you want to say about the music or the arrangement? No. No? Okay. Not
1: really. I mean, I don't, I don't know. And where, I don't have any specific observations on this one.
2: I, I mentioned uh, Steve Albini earlier. You recorded some of this record with Steve?
1: Yeah, I did the acoustic session with Steve uh, pretty uh, many months in advance of the electric stuff. Yeah. Um, Back when I thought that I was going to be a solo artiste. Um, all say, by myself.
2: You say that disparagingly. <laughs>
1: I, don't, I don't know. Is that more about uh, yourself
2: or about the notion of a, a troubadour? You know, that no, it's just, it's just funny, just funny <laughs> to get, you, the notion of you someone, being yeah. someone who has a
1: pretension that they, anybody would want to listen to just them troubadouring in a studio <laughs> <see>. by themselves. <laughs> I see. I see. Right. Um, it, when it's done, when it's done well, it's great, and you know, when it's not done well, it's horrible. Right. And you end up with the artiste thing. Well, it's funny you, because that's why there's three acoustic sounds on here because I. Had been practicing them and this was in my, my sort of soul searching phase of, do I want to bother doing this anymore? Kind of thoughts. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I've been doing all this stuff and I keep playing it for some reason. It's like a compulsion. Like yeah. I'm sitting in my little home office from which I'm talking to you now playing this stuff. I'm like, Oh, why don't I just go in the studio for a day with Steve and, uh and see what it's like, see what it really sounds like. Right. Um So that's why that's, that's the genesis of those three acoustic songs.
2: Did you did you know Steve when you lived in Montana?
1: No, Steve um he's not he's older than me like me and Tim. Yeah. And when we were in Montana that was significant because he was I think out of high school by the time I got into high school. He's oh, four or 5 years older than me. Okay. So no, my brother knew him and then Tim met him when Tim moved to Chicago in 1987 or 88. Uh, but then we started recording with Steve, we meaning silkworm in 1991 or 92 and kind of stuck with him for eons. And so that's part of the reason I wanted to go with Steve. There were two reasons. One is, well, three reasons. One is I knew it would sound great. So if it was worth keeping, it would be done right. Yeah. Uh, Two is, you know, I'm comfortable with Steve. He's a good friend. And so it wasn't like I'm going to be thinking socially social problems thoughts while i'm trying to do this exposed music. yeah right right yeah. and the third is you know he's i uh he has uh, a good ear and and he has a lot of background with my music and good opinions and so if it were improvable on the fly he would be a good person to bounce ideas off of or if it were a waste of time he would see that pretty quickly and we'd wrap it up after an hour and go eat some tacos
2: right And and did, <laughs> what kind of feedback did he give you
1: uh hardly any so it kind of fell more into the first category right. or two, where i just kind of did my thing steve facilitated and made made a nice atmosphere and got a good sound and so um it struck me that it was good enough to keep did pretty you, quickly so did, i kept that was no problem
2: right did you record the vocals uh, as you were playing
1: yeah so all that acoustic stuff is just me and guitar there's no overdubs right
2: okay and well, what about the electric stuff who did you do that with
1: I did that we did that with Matt Barnhart, who right. uh is uh he's sort of a jeez, I guess I would call him the Renaissance man of Chicago music scene or one of them. Really? So he's yeah, well he's kind of a multi talented, multifaceted dude. I think his day job he has two main day jobs. One is as a mastering engineer at Chicago Mastering.
2: Yeah, with Bob uh, Weston, yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly. One is as uh a touring sound man for various artists like Bob Mould, and a bunch of other people. Mets? Um, Mets, the okay. Destroyer. I think the Destroyer, Canadian band. Too. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, he also used to own a record studio in Texas before I moved to Chicago and still has a somewhat active recording, recordist career. So I knew Matt would be a good guy. I know Matt forever. I mean, he ran sound for... The worm and the new year on some tours and so he's, oh, okay. he's been a great guy and, and he's did, played in some other bands that we've toured with as well
2: so i mean with steve uh, you didn't get much uh, feedback which in a sense was a good thing did matt did matt offer you uh you know production uh, advice at all
1: uh not really we no. were pretty well rehearsed by the time we got to recording this stuff okay and so we just kind of went in and did our thing okay i mean you know, this, the same as like anybody with a good ear and a good background music would give you, like, oh, that seemed a little slow. Oh, this take, you weren't as together as you should Yeah, hear. yeah. That,
2: that yeah. kind of stuff. Right. That, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just being a mechanic. Yep.
3: Inviting you to stay. It's not
2: There's a lyric uh, in Sugar Puffs that I wanted to ask you about, but I I think it recurs in The Usual. So let's move on uh, to the next song, uh, which, as I alluded to just now, is called The Usual.
3: Do you want to live here?
2: I'm inviting
3: you to stay. It's not the same old thing. You're the sick one today. And you're so missed today And I don't mean in the usual way I know I don't mean in the usual way and This time it's for real This time it's for real
2: This is another song steeped, I think, in um, in parenthood. Uh, it has a, again another little bit of sadness in it. Is it is a, one of your numbers there with Steve? Uh, in, in terms of uh, it's just you and, and uh, oh wait, is uh, is it just you? I, I don't mean to yeah. speak out of turn. Yeah. Nope. Yep. It's just me. Yeah, and so there's a, a lot of vivid imagery here, but one of the the lyrics I was just alluding to is uh, "You're the sick one today." Um, which uh, recurs uh, in sugar puffs and the usual what 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 's going on there? Why does that line come back
1: well it 's a pretty general observation that people have when they see others around them who they see as having a hard time or being sick right mm-hmm. and but i 'll give you the specific one on this and so there was this guy named Jason Molina who was Meg, the Magnolia Electric Company guy, along with Songs Ohio and a bunch of other projects. Of course, yeah. And so, it's I, I, you know, it's funny because um, I wouldn't call Jason, like, a great friend um, because it's not like we hung all the time or anything like that. But we did several tours together, and I always liked his music, and I really liked some of it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Like, I think that the the Magnolia Electric Company, the one that's titled that is... You know, for rock and roll, is one of the best records ever made. I think, huh, and huh, it, I, huh. I would say it. I would say at least a couple of the songs are probably the best single pieces of music anybody I know has ever done. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah, that's that's just my opinion, right? Mm-hmm. That's just how it hits me. Um, and so, when Bottomless Pit was recording our second or third record, I don't remember which one, when Jason died, um, we were all at Electrical. It's kind of interesting. And so someone came in and said, hey, uh, we just got news that Jason Molina is dead. Hmm. And it wasn't a shock at all because anybody who knew Jason knew that he'd sort of gone off the deep end in the last couple of years of his life and was all over the place, well, I thought, geographically and, you know, super drunk and in bad shape, right? He
2: was an alcoholic, I believe?
1: Well, I don't know, but he uh, drank himself to death. Um, I guess, you know, I'm... People have a lot of different ideas of what an alcoholic is, but I, yeah, I guess he probably. Qualified
2: yeah, sorry, for that. it's not my place some, to say, but yeah. no, I don't
1: know. I, I I'm not trying to scold you. I just don't. Yeah, yeah, he sure. was some sort of addict, and he had definitely drank too much. Um,
2: and for context, Steve worked with Jason uh, on a few occasions, I believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. quite a few. Yeah,
1: and so, um, but I, I started this out by saying he and I weren't great friends, um, but you know we were friends and knew each other sort of, you know, just from being on tours together and, you know, liking each other's music and stuff. Um, and so when, when we got the news, like I said, it wasn't a surprise and I wasn't like crushed. Like when Michael, the drummer, our old drummer died, who was like, you know, my, my solid bro from way back, best friend guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, Oh, well, you know, this is terrible, but I have to say it's not unexpected. And we've heard a lot of stories and right. Okay. Um, and so and, you know, and Jason was a funny guy too, right? He like, he, it, it was very hard to tell with him what was artifice and what was his real personality. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, you know, there were times when he seemed very genuine and almost always was connecting over like a musical connection. Um, so I, I realized later as I sort of, I didn't think about it that much, but it sort of germinated in my mind somehow maybe subconsciously that i'm like wow this is this is a real loss like this is you know it's not the same emotional impact as like a close friend or something but man this this is really bothering me this loss right, like right you know this is a this is a entity that was capable of this stuff that i really liked and it wasn't just that i remember this time that i opened a show for him for meg mags um and it was just me acoustic because i think the other the bottomless pit guys were out of town or something mm-hmm and so we were hanging out outside and, and and he was capable of like this very effusive, uh, genuineness. And he's like, I played this thing. I played, we played the show and it was like late at night we're loading out and he's like, man, you know, you're really my brother. And I really appreciate having you around to like, know there's other people who understand this music and all this stuff. And at the time I'm like, Oh, it's JMO, you know, and whatever. This is like years before he died, before I, this is before I even knew he had like substance problems. Right. It was just like JMO being JMO and I still saw him pretty frequently and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I think what it was that I, is I, I kind of had this dawning realization that like, wow, here was like this serious fellow traveler. And then I started thinking about it. And I'm like, you know what? I don't really, there's hardly anybody like that in the world. Like I don't know very many people. I can say that the stuff I can say about Jason. Like someone who really gets it serious fellow traveler is capable of putting out music that might blow my socks off. Um, I'm like, whoa. And so uh, I think the sick one today and you're sick and all this stuff is really just sort of expressing. Wow. You know, again, consciously his death at the time wasn't like a crushing blow. It was a bummer, but it wasn't crushing. And but later it was like a slow burn where like, wow, this is a
2: huge loss. Hmm. artistically and on a social level for you.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. it really was.
2: Yeah. So is, da- is Jason haunting a lot of this song? Um, Again, like the line well, recurs, so I wonder if there... I, I Because you have this recurring line, for me now, yeah. these songs are interconnected, but I, I don't know what the relationship is between... And like I well, said, the Sugar Puff song does seem like someone sort of saying, I'm done. Um, yeah. So, so I, I guess...
1: Yeah, you're right. I mean, I guess if you if we were going to look for a dir- more directed narrative on the Sugar Puffs song, it would pretty much be maybe what it was like to be him in the last period of his life.
2: Right, right. Sugar Puffs are a stand-in for any number of things that are bad for you. Yeah. I actually Googled Sugar Puffs to make sure it wasn't some substance reference I didn't get. I'm not so up on the lingo, you know? So I was like, oh, yeah. do kids call something sugar puffs? Like, it Well, seems- it's
1: funny you, you say that because I Googled it after we'd recorded it thinking, is sugar puffs a real thing? And I Googled it and and you pointed out early on you just threw out there oh i think it changed its name yeah i think yeah i think it was a british cereal and that's, that's right. why you know about it probably and that it changed its name to like i think it's I called i am like,
2: not in england i am in canada i know i know yeah england, yeah you're right no i <laughs> import foods from the 80s <laughs> yeah No, i recognize the name yeah yeah yeah, yeah and, and i mean so... if anything's going to sound like a cereal it's sugar puffs i mean that's again the only thing was like this must mean something else but uh yeah, anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but uh No,
1: no, it's literally I have been it on sugar puffs and think how you would feel if that's all you ate.
2: Yeah, and and so I do think um with your insight there I can see how these two songs might connect to something going on with the uh, with Jason or your perspective on what some, you know. Yeah. There there's uh the invocation of intervention here. Um you know should i try to intervene should i even try like what that kind of helpless feeling you have when some when you know someone uh, is going through something and you know them really well but you can't make yourself step in almost because it doesn't seem yeah, right. yeah. or
1: or is it, it, it i mean you can knock your you can beat your head against the wall but someone has to sort of want to want to improve or yeah. before any of that will be of any use i think
2: yeah i agree yeah Okay, well, that was uh, that was heavier than I expected it to be, but uh, <laughs> at the same time, I detected something was going on. Hey, you on. play
1: with fire, you can get burned. I, I
2: ask <laughs> the questions, it's true. I, I, I can't predict what the answers are going to be, but I, and, right. I, and I'm giving you my uh, slight impressions of where things are going. Um, here's one that uh, is more mystifying to me. It's, it's, it's got a more joyous feeling to it in terms of a musical arrangement. It's called Your Biography.
3: Fell in love with an ice pick. Can we go?
2: This is a yeah. this is a lovely song and it's got another. It actually has a. We were talking earlier about repack being sort of one thing. Uh, this has a, a nice chorus, chorusy part, and and you've done some phrasing stuff with the with the word O. Oh. You know, you stretched yeah. out the word O oh in a very yeah. Lovely... We got some harmonies happening, which is <laughs> that's
1: that's part of the multi-talented entity that is Light Coma. Those guys can really. Kick out the real music when they need to.
2: Yeah, and it's a, it does have a very uh, a more hopeful feeling. I mean, uh, if, if the more you delve into the lyrics, it gets a little darker, I think. Uh, but tell me about this song. What inspired your biography?
1: Well, I mean, it's a love song, I think. Uh, it's a funny love song though, because it's. Oh man, this is gonna be. This is gonna sound like the worst thing you've ever heard in an interview.
2: <laughs> this. Wow, I'm I'm really looking forward this, to this now.
1: This this love song is infused with ideas and impressions from a uh, the beginning of a uh, an exploration of Buddhist philosophy and meditation.
2: Oh, that's that's cool. I've that's not the first time this has even come up on this show in in this month. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, it's about love, but it's trying to evoke this feeling, especially in the music and in a feeling. And and I want to ask you a question about this in a second. Yes. Um, It's supposed to feel light and maybe joyous is a little too strong, but sort of free. And, um, you know, some of these words are, are some of these lyrics You know, like the stuff about the air was cloudy. I couldn't breathe. Knowledge is out there for you to pick up. I mean, this is sort of the Buddhist stuff coming through. Mm -hmm. Um, Like a dream, it seems so real. That's not some particular thing. That's just all of existence, right? Yeah. Seems real. It's really a dream. Um, Or it's more like a dream than it is like what is supposedly uh, behind the reality that you're supposedly observing. But... One thing I've thought about this arrangement is I think it sounds cool and it does have those qualities, but sometimes, sometimes I think it's a little too abrasive, like it's too rockin'. Oh. But maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know. Maybe it's just because that guitar is so loud and it's very ringing. And,
2: no, and, no, and, no. And, that and... gives it a certain... <laughs> I like it because I think the, the vocal, if I may, is is quite sweet uh it's a nice you know you've got I you, 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 i don't mean to embarrass you you have a distinctive way of singing and i enjoy it uh, and i always have but it's a particularly sweet vocal performance and all the stuff and it's mixed in a way that i think that abras that abrasion you're talking about that abrasiveness is is not is sort of measured. Uh okay. it's there, it's got a power, it's propelling you and it's propelling the song, but it's not overpowering, so to Oh, be. good. Yeah.
1: You're telling me exactly what I want to hear, so I like it.
2: No, I but it's true. I mean I this yeah. song stuck out for me as kind of like a classic pop song almost. Like I mean in the sense of you and the way you and I in our forties might think of a pop song. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it has that kind of um infectious quality and I want to hear it again and it stays with me, kind of thing. That's what I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And if you look at the last line, I, I don't want to diffuse the idea of the love by calling it Buddhist and saying nothing is real because, you know, part of the Buddhist psychology is you get to tell yourself stories to get through existence, right? Yeah. And so, you know, here we're telling a story of our never ending love, right?
2: Well, there's even more lovely. I, I, <laughs> I like this notion of we saw it the same, we agree, and that's enough. I mean that's right. that's a sentiment we need right now. This 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 like finding the the joy and the beauty in, in something as simple as that. Uh, I think that notion. I mean, not the lyric, but I just think that's a lovely turn of phrase.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah. So. Well, good. Yeah. I mean, I this one was I wrote it fast and it, uh, it came together pretty quickly in the arrangement, and Light Como was instrumental in getting it to be the way it is, and. So, it, yeah, it's one of those that was not like a long, difficult struggle. It was a pretty easy one and it came out
2: well. This, this title, Your Biography, uh, <laughs> is, yeah. is fascinating. Is that, are you talk, are you...
1: <laughs> if you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or Zepbound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care.
2: Talking to yourself? Who, whose biography is this?
1: Oh, that I don't know. That's a good question. I, I don't know. It's just I thought we're telling ourselves a story here, and it's whoever's biography and you want it to be.
2: Yeah, okay. Okay. I just wondered if, it, I mean, it's, it's drawn from within you, but not necessarily about you, so to speak. Right. Okay. I was looking for you. We move on now to uh, a song that uh, basically comes back in a different form later on. Uh, yep. The song I'm referring to is Midwest D.T.'s.
3: I'm making the highway a little less slow I'm wondering what to do when nothing would flow How do we do this? I know you don't
1: So, this one was, this is sort of an outgrowth of Jim's thing about like, hey, you, you know, we could be your crazy horse. I'm like, hey, we should do what Crazy Horse does and have the acoustic version and the electric version on the
2: album. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. That's what they, kind of like a Russ Never Sleeps thing, maybe? Or Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: yeah. Sure, well, yeah. Neil, Neil Young did it on Freedom, too. Oh, yeah, yeah he yeah, does. He, the guy does it crying, so. all the time. Yeah, he's that. Yeah, yeah.
2: That's a thing he does. But yeah, I think of Russ Never Sleeps. Uh,
1: You know, Uh, it's funny that you say that because this reminds me of sort of so when when I was in Silkworm I had a couple songs that were like historical World War Two narratives, like a couple. Yeah. Like two. Yeah. Out of, you know, (laughs) ten albums. Yeah. And then from then on it was always like Oh, this is the guy who has all the World War 2 songs. There's oh. right, as if there were so many. I think this these hooks like stick in people's minds because if you really think about it, I bet you Neil Young out of like 50 albums has done this like 3 times.
2: Yeah. But yeah. now he
1: seems like the guy who always does this.
2: Well, I will say also with him is is is, is, is that's his binary though. Is like soft and loud. So yeah. and I mean for better or for worse, he still looms large on Indie rock and, and oh, underground yeah. rock in terms of how the people... The largest, probably. Yeah, just in terms of how people approach dynamics in, in music. Uh, yeah. Of, of like, I'm going to go, as a listening experience, you're going to hear a record that is a journey, a sonic journey, if you will. And he's done that so often that uh, that that's where I think people... And, and I mean, it's good because if you're a fan of his... You know he's going through different phases and stages, not to sort of paraphrase a Willie Nelson record, but this notion that you never know what you're <laughs> going to get next from him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, that and I is- think
1: three times in a corpus is enough because, you know, it's a hook. It sticks in people's minds. And, I'm, you know, I'm sure some scholar of music could tell me a thousand other artists who've done it. Yeah. But I, I'm not immediately thinking of other people who've done it. So
2: Well, when you contextualize it on the same record, it gives. It's like I said. Like I picked out that recurring lyric in the, between the the two songs, "Sugar Puffs" and the usual. So when when a writer does something like that, it's interesting. It 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 highlights the idea and the songs that are being yeah. impacted. So when you, I guess I've jumped. I'm I don't mean to jump too far ahead, but the last song on this record is "Midwest Delirium." and right. it has a strong uh it's fair to say it has a very strong connection to midwest dt's and, and <laughs> well it's the same song it's the same song with a different uh arrangement so to speak and yeah. there's a band on the on the on the final one but but what that does though because you put them on the same record you know some bands would be like oh you know like superchunk used to do this all the time you'd get the single for whatever single they had and you'd it'd be like five acoustic versions of songs that you'd only heard electric before, uh yeah, maybe from the same record, lots of artists will be you know there was the whole well, un- it's it's unplugged. very
1: it's it's very common in like the hip hop world, it's like half their stuff is remixes, right well,
2: yes, remixes sure, yeah exactly yeah. and so in in in, in those cases there it's basically the vocal stem is the same, but the right. but the beat is different, but in this case and in some of the other examples we we were each talking about. I think it can change the song. I mean it can change yeah, yeah. your your relationship to the song. So
1: Well that was that was the idea and it's it's something I'm surprised people don't do more often is like a fairly radical rearrangement of the so- of the same song. Yeah. Um and it wasn't it wasn't just I want to do what Crazy Horse does. It was basically what really happened was I had this acoustic version that I liked a lot. And then when I got together with Light Coma, it's it was one of the first songs we played. And it like immediately came together with like, you know, Jim has this great groove with the drums um, and it just like felt right immediately. Right. And so it was clear to me that like that the version with the good groove with the band had to be recorded as well. Yeah. Um, So it felt I, I, you know, and it had a different feel than the than the acoustic one, which is sort of strident and straightforward. Um, So I just felt like, yeah, it's worthy of. Inclusion and it fits into that paradigm with copying Neil Young. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Again, I mean I hear the crazy horse thing, but that's just because I listen to a lot of crazy horse and I yeah, I kinda know certain tricks. But there is a another this is another song that delves into resignation uh in regards to living. And there's a few examples lyrically
3: I don't want to drink that, I gotta keep my air.
2: I don't want to drink that, got to keep my edge, which I believe is a reference to being straight edge. Oh, just fuck it, I'll step off that ledge, Uh, you know. And then it ends with this, ask me tomorrow, no idea what I'll accept, which recurs a few times, but it ends with, finally, I'll be dead tomorrow. That's what I'll accept. So there's a again well, i mean another darkly huge song well this song. this
1: song is written from the from what i think jason molina was probably saying to himself in his last week he, um, he, again i don't I don't, huh. Huh. I don't know if he was but this is this is me inhabiting his mentality for that week okay um hmm. because you know i don't know the whole story i i haven't like read books or articles about jason's passing or anything like that but i do know that he he died of some organ failure. I think from like a massive binge of drinking. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's public knowledge. That's about uh, as much as I know. I mean, and I, so, and, I, and I know he'd been holed up for a long time, and he'd come and gone, and was getting crazier and crazier. Again, and, I, don't mean, I,
2: I don't mean to speak out of turn, and, and anyone who knew him or uh, knows the circumstances, please forgive me, but I, and I don't mean to invoke this lightly, but I, I recall, my sense memory tells me that I remember it being framed as, as a suicide. Um,
1: yeah, so basically, right, I think he, he did, it seemed, seemed, if it wasn't intentional in the sense of, I'm going to drink this giant bottle to die right now, it was close enough, yes. is my guess. Yes. I don't know, but that's my guess. But I kind of wondered about it because, I, well, I'll just talk about some of the lyrics here. So some of it's obvious, like, you know, well, so ask me tomorrow, I have no idea what I'll accept. So this whole thing is about, I think, something that happens to people who have a lot of facility, let's say with music, um, is it's very common, right? You'll have these bands and they'll have a great one, two, maybe three records. A lot of bands have one great record. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly there's this mysterious drop off in quality Mm -hmm. it's like what happened why you know how come you know name any band you want has one or two great records and then eight pieces of shit and it's you know something i think most bands who want to be in this for a long time and feel inspiration for a long time fear yeah and that's kind of what i'm talking about when i say after every record i'm like god i don't know what else are we going to do after that and then somehow it's just you know we in my opinion i've been able to to keep the quality up you know just by focusing on the process at the moment right sure but and i remember a funny quote from keith richards about the same thing it was more in the context of like these like hot shit guitar players Someone was was basically saying keith what's the difference you know what's up you can't really play the guitar like listen to all these guys who can really play the guitar and they're fucking great and keith richards said something like yeah but all those guys who can like play flashy they fucking burn out Yeah. Like, and I keep going because I focus, you know, because I'm me and I do what I do. Right. And so it's sort of that idea. And I I don't know, because I did not talk to Jason about this, but, you know, he had a bunch of great records. And then I kind of wonder, and and he was one of these guys who's like, oh, he's like a productivity maven. Like, I got to crank this stuff out or I'm not really me or I'm not doing my job. Sure. Which I think is a terrible mentality for a musician because that's like, you know, a, a recipe for formulaic like stuff that sucks. I don't think he ever got there, but I just wonder if he was feeling the creeping hand that he affects a lot of people, which is, hmm, maybe I'm not as inspired as I used to be. And hmm, maybe I am afraid of the future where it's not going to be exactly like it was when I was 23 to 29 and able to crank out stuff. I mean, talk, listen to Bob Dylan talk. People used to ask him all the time, like, how come you were great then and you've sucked for the last 20 years? And he, he'll, he'll just say, look, you know, I had this fucking huge flash of inspiration for a decade or 15 years or whatever it was, and it just hasn't been the same. And that's that's it. That's life. So it's sort of a, it's a little bit Buddhist, right? He just accepts it as it is. Um,
2: I, I, I maintain and, that the last 20 years of Dylan are the best he, things he's ever done. Right. But
1: I mean, conventionally, <laughs> conventionally <laughs> people would think that like 62 to 76 was like, you know, sure, great yeah, and everything yeah. else like that. You know right. what I mean.
2: I do know what you mean, and and um, so I, I don't yeah. know.
1: Again, I don't. I don't want to say. I talked to Jason, and I and I feel like this, but I I, I kind of wonder. I just I feel it that he had these fears, and that was kind of what drove him over the edge to get back into the addiction thing and get crazy with that.
2: You felt that yeah. he'd put his too much pressure on himself. I mean, it's a weird well, job. It's this is I'm a sure re- there are
1: a lot of things, but I I. I in this song, I'm talking about someone who is experiencing that and can't deal with
2: it. Yeah. And I think that the, the job itself is so strange because, like you say, uh, you know, how many other vocations are there where you might be really good at it initially uh, and then you maybe aren't as good at it, but you don't get the reception? Like, you don't get any sense of that because no one tells you. Whereas, you yeah. know, you're a guy putting out records and they. They're received by critics and fans and and they sell or they don't sell and and all that stuff. I mean, it all adds up to like changing your relationship to this creative pursuit. I mean, your measure of success isn't that satisfaction anymore. It's it's it could be any number of things. It depends on on your mentality. And yeah. Yeah. And so,
3: again,
1: I, I want to be sure to talk about this carefully, which is. I have. I do not have any idea if this is really what was going on with Jason. Yeah. And it would be one element of many that would cause, I think, Jason or anyone else to, to you know, seek a sort of a suicide solution or whatever. Mm-hmm. This is an imagined concept of what, some things that might have been running through someone in that position's mind.
2: I mean, we talked a lot about Neil Young, and I meant I invoked the phrase binary. Jason had this too. Jason had different sounds, uh, different tones. He would go after. Is there a particular reason? Does that inform why this song comes back later? The way uh, it does?
1: No, I I don't really have a more complex explanation other than it felt right with the electric version, which mm-hmm. came after the the acoustic version I liked a lot, and then the electric version came easily and well and that that's about it. Okay. Um Yeah, but yeah. That but that was one of the things with Jason was that was cool about him was he did a lot of different things. He did a lot of bedroom recordings. He did a lot of acoustic stuff. He did a lot of ratty electric stuff. Solo. He did a lot of ratty electric stuff with the band, you know? So that was, that was an inspiring thing.
2: Okay. All right. Uh, I appreciate this insight and maybe we'll run into Jason again. I wasn't expecting to run into him so much. Is that, is the overall title of the record related to this Unreality? Is it related to him?
1: Oh, that's, I think that's more of a Buddhist thing. Okay. (laughs) It's kind of like, yeah, none of this is really, it, it's its all unreal in the sense it's hard to know what to sort of grab at and sink your teeth into it. It's sort of related to this idea of, yeah, this Midwest DT's lyric sheet looks like, you know, I have a tape recording of someone in their last week, you know, drinking themselves to death, but I really don't. It's an imagination. I mean, yeah. for all I know, this isn't even close. Right.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, I hear you. Okay. We're going to move on to the uh, next song on the record, song 6. Uh, presumably, does this start side B? I don't have the vinyl. Uh, yes, it, it does. does. It's called City and River? <laughs>
3: Don't drive all night I wish you were here So many times this year I can stare
2: did me a favor and you sent me a lyric sheet uh to uh lyric sheets to many of the, most of the songs here in fact and in your uh document that you sent me for city and river if this is accurate it seems to have uh, at some point been titled safety first can you help oh yeah yeah did you mean to send me this is this some kind of weird game you're playing with me <laughs> no
1: that's really city and river Okay. But uh I don't know why that was on there. It was probably some kind of scratch title. Oh, interesting. We found the one we liked. Okay.
2: So okay, I, 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 <laughs> does that does that title, the original scratch title speak to the content of the song from your perspective?
1: I mean, it's another alienation song, right? That seems pretty clear. Yeah, oh yes. Uh, it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, um I don't really have inspiration behind the, the original title. No,
2: I just was curious. I it's, this has never happened to me where someone has sent me uh, a lyric sheet with a different title, which has, has thrown me off a little bit. Uh, right, I see why it would. Yeah, well, just because <laughs> you know, I think I take titles to be uh, to be kind of significant to uh, what you're trying to convey. It's the first thing we see, right? Before well, yeah, I but
1: sometimes they are, and sometimes they aren't. For example, "Repack" is a total nonsense title.
2: In a way, uh, in a way, but yeah. yeah, for me, it has sugar to,
1: puffs, yeah, has a lot of content to it. Mm-hmm. The usual does too. Your sugar, biography, is, content, yeah, yeah. Your biography is the most, is sort of the most provocative, suggestive title, yeah, yeah. So they're all over the map here,
2: yeah, okay. Uh, this is another <laughs> song where it feels to me like you're, uh, the, the narr the narrative here, if you will, or the character, if. You will it's a first person I. Uh, seems to be speaking with a ghost. Seems to be speaking with an, an apparition, maybe, or something. Am I am I yeah, off? Absolutely. Is that what it is? Yeah, totally. Okay. And again, I mean we've we've been haunted by Jason here. Is 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 he the guy?
1: Uh No, this is more general, I think. It's just sort of it I think what this song really is is <laughs> alienation melancholy and loneliness that is imagining uh geez um you know feeling freer like from vignettes in the past but not specific instances is
2: it nostalgia is it is it an inherently nostalgic song
1: yeah i mean everything's in the past tense Or not everything but most um
2: well, yeah. you're the only one I liked with so many I tried. <laughs> Please take my advice. Don't drive all night. It seems to be, uh, I mean, it's set kind of in the present, but then it does seem to uh, be a series of memories. Um, yeah. So I I don't know. I don't have a lot of insight here. I'm just, uh, I'm telling you my impressions. Yeah,
1: you know, I, I suppose like whenever I think about people who are gone, Michael's always going to be the first guy I think of which is is sad to say because that was 2005 and now it's 2017 and that's still true. I don't know. I guess the stuff, you know, sticks with you for a long time.
2: I, I wondered about that too. I mean, when you talk so much about Jason, I, it's funny because the songs to me, I thought of Michael. Um, and so it's, it's fascinating to hear you say that at this point. Um,
1: yeah, I guess that's right. Like I haven't thought about it in this much detail before, but, you know, I wished you were here so many times this year. I would never say that about Jason, not because I don't like Jason, but just that wasn't our relationship where we saw each other all the time. Yeah, and like he's not like the guy I would call on the phone and like shoot the shit with when I was bored at work, like Michael was.
2: In your in your morning <laughs> in your morning, Michael, who do you reach out to? Who do you speak to about about him?
1: Um, no one. It's I, I, I feel like talking about it doesn't help. You know, I'm not saying I don't want to talk about it now. I'm just saying, like, I don't really know what to say. It is what it is. To use a cliche.
2: Well, this lyric you mentioned, (laughs) "I wished you were here," so many times this year that the next two lines is uh, are, are, I believe, I can stare down the pier, but there's no one to talk to. It's just a endless longing there. Um, It is, but
1: and part of it too is, as I mean, it's sad to say, but as you get older, not everyone, but you know. A lot of our experience, including mine, is your social circle shrinks rather than expands. Mm -hmm. You know, you got more responsibility and stuff like, you know, kids and other people are depending on you in ways that are very time intensive. Yeah. So, you know, this stuff, you sort of see the the tunnel narrowing a little bit, which is a, a little frightening at times.
2: Yeah, it is. And uh, (laughs) I, I, you know, I appreciate you going through this exercise because I think there's a lot of uh, layers here and it's it's uh, it's dark and painful. But I think I in in the I I don't know, I hear uh, some you're grappling. I guess you're publicly grappling with things.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't get asked this stuff a lot. So, again, it's not like I'm out there. Shouting from the rooftops. So thank you for, for <laughs> no, asking no. The, the provocative questions <laughs>
2: <laughs> No, it's my pleasure The The record has uh, mystified me In my own way as well So it's it's nice to have this insight Okay, let's let's move on uh, to a, another song Which I enjoy very much It's called Blue Dragon I have a
3: name but no one uses it I feel in my way tell what things look like to me. It don't make sense because if you were once all my age, I stumble around. I try
2: This one has some uh, more interesting turns of phrase. What what inspired this one uh, as far as your as far as you can recall?
1: Uh this is about being cute and young and not needing to understand that you're not always going to be cute and young and that's okay.
2: Yeah, I I thought maybe <laughs> <laughs> It's hard to tell what things look like to me. Don't make sense because you were once all my age. I, I guess I just pictured you stumbling around trying to learn things and 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 going to places and wondering what was going on with the youth of today.
1: No, no, no. This is just about being like every experience is new and and you know it's about being a little child.
2: Oh, it is. It's the opposite and, of what I thought. Okay.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, that sort of was it was the idea. I mean, but. Here's the point about it being a song: is right. It can mean whatever you can mean whatever you want it to mean to you, and that's great.
2: Yeah, I mean, I know that uh, did you, you and Tim, did you or did all yeah, all of Silkworm once collaborated with Stephen malcolmis right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You would do like Bob Dylan songs.
1: Yeah, we did a few things. We did well, the Wells of Crust Brothers is what it was called, and so we did a bunch of songs from the Basement Tapes that got eventually released as a bootleg, which is great if you ever find it. Um, I
2: someone, one of you. Someone sent it to me. I have it somewhere. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then we did some other stuff uh, later on where we did other songs. We did some Guns N' Roses. We did some Credence. Um, So that was a fun period.
2: Well, the reason I brought it up is because when I was listening to it, I heard you say, it's like the pavement, but it will never stand. And I just thought of pavement. I just thought of the...
1: Oh! No, this is like the... That's not what I meant, but that's fine. The the Amer- <laughs>
2: it's not an it's not an American term, pavement, is it? It's like a British term. You guys don't uh, use the word pavement for concrete. You mean
1: you mean? Oh, I thought you meant. Doesn't pavement mean sidewalk?
2: It does. It does mean sidewalk. Yes, it does.
1: Oh yeah yeah. Uh, now this is like the pavement. Like yeah, we use pavement to mean like cement. Yeah, surface. You do. Yeah. Okay, I thought maybe. I think so.
2: I just always thought of it as a pretty British sort of uh, use of the word pavement. I, I think
1: it probably, now that you mentioned it, it is more common there, probably.
2: Yeah, yeah. Did you, uh, so you like the basement tapes. Did you ever, I once uh, found Big Pink. Oh, the house? I did.
1: Is it still there?
2: I mean, it was in the year 2000 uh, <laughs> when I yeah. when I found it. I believe it is still there. Yeah, I found it in uh, upstate <laughs> New York. Cool. I went and my friends we were on tour and uh, yeah, we went and found it and it was fun
1: yeah it's cool and they and they yeah the basement tapes is certainly one of my favorite records ever yeah and um you know they and i I remember at the time way back when I sought out like there's there's the full version, which is like three hundred songs or something it's like many versions of yeah all that stuff, plus a bunch of folk songs and stuff yeah now they released it it's like I had an official release of the full version i yeah. I haven't, I have I
2: haven't it. bought I, yeah I have it oh, you have it yeah. I have it in my house uh, somewhere I don't know, it's holding up probably the house I, it's very thick
1: i kind of i it's funny i surprised myself by continuing to not buy it because it is one of my favorite albums but i guess what it is i just have listened to it enough and i don't like okay i'm kind of i don't need it
2: yeah i feel like the the one of the bootleg versions of it was Ten CDs or five? How many CDs? Yeah,
1: that's that's the one I have. I think It's called The Great White Wonder.
2: Well, that's the original. Oh, you have that. Oh, you have the actual Great White Wonder. Okay, yeah.
1: Well, no, I have the CD that's probably a recording of Oh, that. Oh, okay, okay. But it's like, it's a lot of CDs. It's like eight, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's something like that. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So anyway, I don't mean to derail us. Is there anything? I mentioned Pavement, and <laughs> then we got talking about Bob Dylan. This is a song about innocence then.
1: Yeah, it really is.
2: Okay. Which is the other end of the spectrum of... Uh, we've talked so much about the the end of life. Yeah. <laughs> it seems, but, it's, or...
1: but this is, but to me, this is supposed to be pure innocence. It isn't about innocence in the sense of like, oh, you're going to learn one day how how experience is really tough. Yeah, but yeah. That's not what it, it's not supposed to be like that. Yeah, it's supposed to be more like ah, oh, joyous innocence.
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can see this too. I can see uh, this song and repack being uh, the result of just watching your kids wander around. Uh, and and <laughs> yeah. function, yeah, maybe maybe I'm reading too much into it, I don't know, okay, I appreciate no, no. It. is there anything you want to say about the music?
1: it's got a Brian Adams part in the middle Brian Adams big one <laughs> Yeah, the Brian Adams part is a is a coinage from my friend Tom Kipp in Seattle, which is a very common. Uh, what do I want to say, I want to say it's a trope or like a or like a shtick
2: uh-huh.
1: that you got, especially in the '80s. And so, if you ever listen to like "Run to You,", you so you have your riff. It's like nat 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 do do If I had my
2: if I had my guitar, I could play it for you right now. I know how to play. Right, it. right. I know so how that's to play Run, Run to you. you.
1: Yeah. But notice, notice what he does is he plays the song with that riff throughout. And then in the middle, at some point, everything drops out, and it's just the guitar playing that riff. Yeah, and that's the Brian Adams part.
2: Right. Oh, I see. Okay, you did that.
1: Well, not really, because <laughs> this isn't a real Brian Adams part. Because the middle part where everything drops out and it's just the guitar is actually a different piece of music. It's not a recurring theme from the song. Right. Which would be a true Brian Adams part. So, I, I have a really hard time bringing myself to do the true Brian Adams part because it almost always sounds sort of hack which is kind of the point of it. It's a Brian Adams part.
2: Yes, he's one of our (laughs) most renowned hacks here in Canada. (laughs) That's fair to say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We move on now to uh, the penultimate song on this record, uh, which is called uh, Unhinged Melody. Wow, this one is uh this one it's a this one's a difficult one uh, on some level. What what where did this come from? I'm running from loneliness. He's following me. He's catching me. It's like a nightmare. Yeah. So this song um
1: well the the title is supposed to be sort of funny, right? Um, cuz there's that
2: unchained melody, is that the Yes, yes. there's the, there's yeah. the
1: famous is that is that a class? Is that a standard, or is that like a? a, a I don't even know what the song is.
2: Undying it... Melody is a is a classic song by the Righteous Brothers, I believe.
1: Yeah, yeah that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. It I was thought... made uh, particularly famous from the, by the film Ghost.
1: Okay, I never saw that, but okay. You never saw the, so, the yes. movie
2: Ghost with Demi Moore and Patrick no, Swayze? No, no. I hope I, I have my. Like... Fa- I'm just making this up on the fly. I believe everything I'm saying is <laughs> correct, and it was the Righteous Brothers. I'm not going to Google it, but I. I know music, but my brain has just become mush, and I don't. I never really cared for the. Oh, you know who else is in Ghost? Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, okay. She plays. Whatever. She plays. Um, Whoopi Goldberg. I don't remember her name, yeah. but yeah. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> oh no problem. So the title is a little bit of a throwaway. The idea was is you know it's supposed to be really stark and exposed. The music is supposed to be sort of uncomfortable and awkward, um, and so that's why it's called Unhinged Melody. I'm not sure how unhinged it sounds, but it it is what it is. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It's sort of a rewrite of this song by James. Um, I don't know, the song has this line: "It's either the same or similar." Like I'm running from loneliness, like this concept.
2: Sorry, James. And who?
1: James. J- the song. Uh, the band. It's like the '90s. British. Oh, the British
2: band James. Yeah. Oh, they had that big song.
1: Well, I heard it. It's one of these things where I heard it on the radio, and I'm like, oh this song is like catchy in this way, but I felt like, yeah, it could use more edge. Like this concept needs the way they're doing it is too smooth. Right. This has got to be explored in a way that's more substantive. Right. Um, and it just, I don't know. So, well, I do know that's, that's what it was. And so this song is very transporting. Like, you know, if you get into it, it's, it says what it says. And, uh, I'm running from loneliness he's following me. I think everybody can relate to this, I think, or most people. Right. Um and uh you know, it came off in the studio, I think, so I included it.
2: No, it makes sense and it's uh it speaks again to this uh these recurring notions of alienation and 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 loneliness. I mean, there's no one to talk mm-hmm. to basically. Um Yeah. It's uh, I don't know. I don't know much more to say. I don't have much more to say about it because it's uh, it's all right there. I think people need to hear this one. Yeah,
1: uh, it's short. So it, the 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 awkwardness lasts uh, uh two minutes yeah that's, so don't be scared of it yeah listeners that's a listeners good, you can handle it
2: <laughs> that's a good amount of time for awkwardness. <laughs> I think if they listen to me this long, they're familiar with awkwardness frankly <laughs> okay frankly yeah, that's a uh, good point yeah exactly okay so uh that is that is it, except that we have the song that we talked about briefly earlier, Midwest delirium, which is related to midwest d t s but it's electric it's uh yes.
3: The highway A little less love
1: Obviously lyrically it's virtually identical to Midwest DTs. Yeah. Slightly different title, just to kind of point out that it is a different verse. Not it's not a literal copy and paste of the first one. Um Well you you reference
2: two ailments, I suppose. The DTs and uh and delirium.
1: Yeah, I don't know how different they are. Uh is, is the delirium a symptom of the DTs? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So <laughs>
2: But the the rocker the rocker felt more delirious to you, right? Okay, right. I I think that it, it comes across uh, that way actually. It's interesting. I wonder what would have happened if you'd sequenced them in reverse. Like if you'd put the rocker early, and then yeah. ended. I'm just curious. It might change. Well, it would obviously change the whole record, but it would change the uh, potentially the meaning of the song almost.
1: Well, that's the beauty of digital music: is the listener can do anything he or she wants with the. That's the true. Song order.
2: I'm just going to move it around and see how it sounds, how it feels I, on its feet, and see, put it up.
1: I used to be so serious about music that I would do that. I would program my CD player to play in different
2: orders. Oh, you would you would self shuffle. I would. You would manually shuffle.
1: Back when I had time for that kind of engagement.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we did it. We went through we went through all of the songs. How are you feeling? Good.
1: Good. It was a. Uh, It was more revealing and and both more revealing and more pleasant than I thought it would be. It's hard to talk about lyrics, you know, because it's not hard because I'm afraid of exposing what it means. It's hard because I I hate prejudicing what other people think about it by saying what I think it
2: means. Sure, sure. But I mean, I struggle with that in going through this exercise with people a little bit, because I think I've said it to bands before and artists before, you know, in a way you've said everything. Uh, you wanted to say about it by writing the song, but I do think you know a little backstory, a little, yeah, little insight. I mean, I learned things about this that I would not have learned had we not spoken. So I I appreciate this uh, very much. What what is next for you, so to speak, uh, Andy? What's next for you in, and, and Lake Coma?
1: Well, as usual, I'm thinking oh, I'm done with music. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm still <laughs> playing. <laughs> I'm still playing my guitar in my home office. I think that we will uh, be playing to some degree. I, I don't know what the future is, honestly, you know, beyond the next practice. Okay. Um, I've, I unfortunately have, have backed off on playing live by a huge amount just because the sort of time commitment involved is, is very difficult to deal with. So, um, I don't have a lot of live shows to report. There will be some, um, anything that comes up that looks interesting or exciting. I do, but I'm not beating the bushes to sort of player Tuesday nights and debut kind of shows. Right. Okay. Um, Yeah. So I would think that, you know, we'll keep going and there will be more of the same. And if it's good enough to release, we'll release it.
2: That seems like a fair perspective. And for more information (laughs) about you and and your band, where should people go on the Internet?
1: I guess what you should do is you should go to Comedy Minus One, which is the the record label. I... uh, You know, I used to have a Facebook page for sort of my musical stuff, but then I deleted Facebook because I I don't like Facebook anymore. I I haven't for a long time. And I can't bring myself to sort of check in on that thing because I just really don't like Facebook.
2: Okay. (laughs) Um, You on Twitter or something? You on Twitter?
1: I'm not. um, I'm really not. I'm not a a social media thing. I have a hard time engaging with it in a way that doesn't, that I find, where I find the benefit of doing it uh, outweighs the sort of, non-benefit or the detriments of looking at it um that's just my personal problem yeah sure so anything of substance like a show or a release is going to be at comedy minus one
2: comedy dot one.com i guess is the best place for people to go then and they can pick up uh, copies of this uh in various yep. forms it's available on uh vinyl record here and uh and other forms i think Digi- digitally digital digitally yeah, as well it- yeah
1: The sad part about the social media hatred that I have is that it used to be that I could get questions from people about guitar stuff or stuff like you're asking. And I love to talk to people about it. And I don't, since I don't play a lot of shows, I don't have a lot of exposure like in person. Yeah. So that's the one thing I'm I'm kind of bummed about. But I don't know. I guess people can email me if they like, if they're really that interested.
2: Yeah. I I mean, yeah. I think you've got to decide what you want to do there <laughs> yeah you, know, you you can put your own sort of self limitations on these things in terms of what you're willing to engage with and what you're not um yeah here I am telling you how to use the internet. I don't know, I understand yeah. where you're coming from it's it's overwhelming but uh yeah well uh to to wrap this up, is there uh, one single song we can play for people so they can uh, hear what you know one thing that we've been talking about so far is there something Ooh. you would pick?
1: oh, geez, that's kind of your department because I, I don't have a lot of perspective on this record. If if I were going to, I think, okay, here's what I think. I think the best song on the record is The Usual. Yes. But I wouldn't play that because it's it's very quiet and I don't think it's going to grab someone. So then I would say play your biography or the electric version of Midwest Delirium or play Mid- Midwest Delirium.
2: I'm, I'm leaning towards the last thing you said as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'd go there. And a lot of it, again, is credit to Jim McGregor for the the sweet beat. Yes. I I really dug the beat. That really took it away and made that one make the record.
2: You have to admit it's fun playing in a band.
1: Oh, yeah. You kidding? That's why. Well, that's why I was ready for the message when Jim's like, we could be your band. I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. I I kind of forgot about being in a band for the last year. Yeah.
2: <laughs> alright well this is it this is Midwest Delirium by Andrew Cohen and Light Coma from their new album Unreality again available uh, via Comedy Minus One comedy minus com for more info Andy this was uh, really uh, fun and I thank you for your time and I wish you the best of luck with everything in your life and in your work going forward
1: well it was a pleasure and an honor to talk to you and it was great and I uh, hope to talk to you again <laughs>
2: Andrew Cohen on the 369th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One podcast network and available on all your finer podcast platforms. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for, if you want to learn more about me, or if you want to sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at vishcreative, or follow me at vishkana. You can also listen to a radio show version of Creative Control on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time around the world at CFRU.ca or on an actual radio at 93.3 FM if you're in or near Guelph. Also, please consider visiting Patreon.com slash Creative Control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. Uh, We have a, a modest Patreon page. That's the safest way of putting it. We could always use more support to keep the show going because it has been... Dipping down, and that's giving me a complex. Like, maybe, maybe what is it not worth it? I don't know. I, I, I don't normally care, but I, I also am like, Oh, it's I thought the show was doing better. It feels good, but you know what I'm saying. Patreon.com/slash creative control if you'd like to make a flexible monthly donation to keep the show going. This episode would not be possible without our sponsors, Pizza Trocadero, whom you can call for pickup or delivery at 519-829-2444. Or check them out at trocaderoguelph.ca. They will deliver within the city limits of Guelph. So if you're listening in Chicago or something, please don't call. The Bookshelf is uh, an independently owned bookstore, bar, music venue, and movie theater located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. They are proud sponsors of this show. Learn more about them at bookshelf.ca. Planet Bean freshly roasted fair trade certified organic coffee. For more information about them, planetbeancoffee.com. Granddad's Donuts, located at 574 James Street North in Hamilton, Ontario. Amazing donuts. Visit granddads.ca for more information about their hours and menu items. To have a whole meal's worth of ingredients delivered right to your Canadian home, visit hellofresh.ca and use the promo code CREATIVE50 for 50% off of your first order. And FreshBooks, a cloud accounting software for small business owners. Try it free for 30 days. Go to freshbooks.com slash Control. And in there, How Did You Hear About a section, enter Creative Control, that's creative with a K and control with a K, all one word, and you get to try fresh books for free for a month. Give it a shot. Well, that's it for the show. Again, thanks for all your support and listening to the show, downloading the show, subscribing to the show. All of these things help the show get out there. And if you can uh, tell some friends about it, that would be amazing as well. Uh, more episodes to come as we wind down uh, the year 2017. Uh, still have some stuff left. I still have some stuff left, and I, I will get it to you just as soon as I can. All right, thanks again for listening. I will talk to you soon. Goodbye for now.